It's time for Decal Download, your source for news and information from the Georgia Department of Early Care and Learning. We'll hear from Commissioner Amy M. Jacobs and special guests to give you an update on all things Decal. This is Decal Download. Downloading now. Welcome back, everybody, to Decal Download here with Commissioner Amy Jacobs. I'm Reg Griffin, Chief Communications Officer at the Georgia Department of Early Care and Learning. Well, families have always helped with homework and supervised chores around the house, but the new world of COVID-19 coronavirus with its shelter-in-place orders have presented new challenges for children and parents alike. Commissioner, I know your world has changed working from home with a husband and two school-age kids within close proximity. It absolutely has, and it definitely has its challenges. We have um, good days and bad days, like I'm sure everyone else that's dealing with the same situation has, but we're making it. I was going to say, if you listen closely to this podcast or any of the commissioner's Zoom or Skype meetings, you may encounter her husband and two (laughs) school-aged children. It's very possible. There is no quiet or private place in my house, um, and I've just accepted that, so... (laughs) Well, it adds a lot of entertainment for all of us that are holding meetings that way. And I guess most of us are because there's going to be a dog. uh, There's going to be some children and there's probably going to be technical problems. And those are always interesting, too. Well, joining us to talk about how to coexist in this new normal, minus any blow ups and tantrums, hopefully, is Allison O'Hara, Program Director for the Inclusion and Behavior Support Program here at DECAL, Allison leads a team of dedicated specialists located across the state who work hard to support child care programs and pre-K classrooms in promoting social emotional wellness and successful inclusion of all children in early childhood education settings. We just moved that setting into your home. Allison, right. welcome to the podcast today. Thank you. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Now, you've been doing some presentations on this. You've been in kind of high demand since we went uh, home a couple of weeks ago, right? Yes, that's absolutely the case. Um, We have been um, transitioning quite a few of our trainings and presentations into webinar mode so that people can continue on with learning virtually. So I've been taking part in quite a few webinars these days. Well, we're hearing a lot of compliments, and uh, that's one reason you're here. So we're excited to have you here to kind of uh, shed some light on this uh, new arrangement that we're all kind of dealing with. Yeah, yeah. I'm glad glad to talk about it. Any way I can help. Well, we're so glad you're here, Allison. And I thought I would start off um, by asking how you're doing personally and how COVID-19 has impacted your life and your situation balancing work and family at the moment. How's everything going for you personally? <laughs> you know, it's an interesting time over here. Um, I had an active 18-month-old son, um, so every day is a new day, uh, kind of navigating, working, um, and trying to keep him entertained and keep him safe always kind of keeps me on my toes. Uh, some days are more challenging than others. I will say, I, I think we're both eager to get back to our usual routines. Um, he's ready to get back to his friends at his child care center. Um, and I am actually really eager to get back to Twin Towers. But but we're making the best of it. So I'm, I'm glad to get to spend more time with him than, than I normally do these days. Allison, for folks that may not have had the opportunity to meet you, tell us what it is you do uh, on a regular basis here at DECAL. 
Sure. Yeah. So um, I actually began uh, in this role in January of this year. Um, so most of my work is centered around uh, really kind of refine, refining and improving um, and enhancing our inclusion and behavior support program. Um, we're a unit, a statewide unit um, that's comprised of uh, several behavior specialists and inclusion specialists, uh, a team of supervisors and our wonderful program manager. Um, and we are just dedicated to going into um, childcare programs and pre-K classrooms and really providing supports to teachers um, and administrators around something called the pyramid model. It's basically a framework to promote social and emotional wellness in young children. Um, and we provide a lot of support around um, establishing high quality classrooms, uh, nurturing positive relationships between teachers and children, um, and focusing on ways to promote positive behavior so that all children can be included successfully in the classroom. And so that we're ideally minimizing suspensions as much as possible in pre-K. So looking at my calendar here, it looks like about middle March, the 13th, 14th, maybe the 16th, kind of the world changed dramatically. We have childcare programs all over the state. We're accustomed to dropping our kids off at either a childcare program or an elementary school or, or something like that. And all of a sudden, things have changed and we're all at home and we're doing all of this work kind of on the fly as we're probably doing our own jobs and also trying to help our children with distance learning and that kind of thing. I know in your trainings, you stress four types of self-care that are important, physical, emotional, social, and spiritual. Why are those important in a pandemic like this? I, with many other, along with many others, feel that the connection between mind and body is pretty strong. Um, and when a crisis like this happens, we are taking on new roles, um, new responsibilities all at the same time, and, and it's taxing. So a holistic approach to self-care is so necessary. Um, our resources are being drained as human beings now more than ever. Um, and as is the case with many people, our demands are increasing, and this all results in stress. Um, so due to legitimate restrictions, many people feel limited in their options for self-care or may not even place as much of a priority on holistic wellness. Um, but with creative planning, um, self-care can be possible, and it is essential during these difficult times. Um, there is an abundance of research supporting the positive impact of exercise and physical activity on stress. Um, I am consistently pleased to see how many people in my own community I see out and about um, getting in a walk or um, taking a jog. That's so critical to boost those cortisol levels. And um, additionally, in the age of physical social distancing, we have to make intentional efforts to integrate social engagement into our routines. Um, connection is the opposite of isolation, and we all need to connect now more than ever. I definitely feel you on the exercise part. That has definitely become more part of our daily routine, so that was a, be a positive for me. It's definitely a stress reliever um, for sure. We, we know as adults when we're feeling stressed, but are, there, are the signs as obvious in children when they're stressed? And what should we be watching for specifically for children? 
Yeah, this is a great question. Um, as you can imagine, children are just not as likely to communicate feelings of worry or sadness or stress in ways that are overtly verbal. Um, we as adults really have to rely on our observations of a child's mood and behavior, especially in comparison to the ways that we would typically see that child behaving before COVID-19. Uh, the first things I would tell parents to pay attention to are drastic changes in the child's eating or sleeping patterns. Um, these can be indicators of some concerning levels of stress or anxiety or feeling, uh, feelings of low mood or sadness. Um, additionally, children may communicate stress or sadness through anger and displays frustration, which can be kind of exacerbated by probably our own anger and frustration as we cope with this whole uh, kind of new living situation. Uh, there may be a tendency in children to re resist these new routines. Um, and, and even more specifically, children will communicate feelings of boredom sometimes when they're truly experiencing feelings of sadness. So of course, one or two of these behavioral changes may be somewhat expected during these challenging times. I just strongly encourage parents to use their best judgment as they really know their child best and they know what their child's baseline behavior and mood is. Allison, you teach five practical strategies for promoting positive child behaviors. Let's walk through those briefly, starting with the first word, which is prioritize. Yes, yes. Um, so I think when we are experiencing challenging behavior, um, either in our homes or within a classroom, it can feel really overwhelming. And it feels like this behavior is happening all the time. Um, and it's just never stopping. And I have no idea what to do about it. So the first step is prioritizing. We really need to look at, at what point in the day is this behavior most challenging for this child and for us as the adults supporting the child. Um, um, we need to kind of be systematic about tackling one behavior during one routine um, so that it's feasible and that we're taking a practical approach that's not too overwhelming. Um, once we've seen some success, when we've implemented some strategies around that particular routine, then we can start to generalize it to other routines and use that strategy across the day to promote positive behavior. And the next strategy is observe and understand. So elaborate on that one as well, Allison. Sure, sure. So this is actually kind of my favorite part of the process. Um, and please forgive me. I think my son is getting pretty vocal out there. So I appreciate <laughs> your your initial disclaimer about how children will, will join in on our calls. Even um, better, even better. It's great. <laughs> He's got some things to say. Um, so observe and understand. This is so critical. Um, so, so it's pretty well known within the field of positive behavior support that all behavior serves a function. And essentially that means we're communicating something through our behavior. This is true for children and for adults. Um, and in order to effectively address a challenging behavior, we have to understand 
why it's happening in the first place. And this happens through observation. So I'm going to look at a child's behavior and see when does this happen most often? What are the most common triggers that occur leading up to this behavior? And how are people reacting to this behavior? That's going to help me make a conclusion about what the function is. And, and there are really two primary reasons why any behavior happens. One is to get something so the child can get something that they are needing, such as an item or an activity or attention, or to get away from something that they're trying to escape or avoid. Once we know that function, then we can move forward accordingly with prevention strategies and determine what sorts of skills this uh, child needs to learn in order to not have to resort to challenging behavior anymore. Hmm. Next, we find plan for prevention. What is that? Prevent, prevent, prevent. Um, <laughs> I think the phrase was an, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. Um, so let's just give some scenarios. If we know that um, a child's challenging behavior is always happening when it's time to get dressed or to engage in some unwanted activity. So we know, and parents know, they know what to predict out of their child's behavior. They dread these routines um, because they know challenging behaviors are going to pop up. If we can plan up front for prevention, we can do a, certain, a few uh, things. Maybe we pair uh, getting dressed with a fun song um, that the child really, really likes, or perhaps we allow the child to make a choice of what outfit they're going to wear up front. Um, maybe we even do something as simple as show a visual picture of um, what we're about to do uh, to get dressed and then something fun that's going to happen afterwards. So that way, going into that routine, we're prepared. Um, we're creating these conditions where it's not such a challenging situation or routine for the child. And therefore, we're going to see less challenging behavior. So the next strategy is teaching desired behaviors. How do we do that? You know, I think a lot of times we forget that that expectations are, aren't always just overtly clear to children. Um, we have to teach the desired behaviors that we want to see, and this can be done in a number of ways. Um, this can be done through modeling. Adults are the best models of behavior for our child, whether those models be appropriate or sometimes inappropriate. Um, it can be breaking down uh, multi-step routines into smaller pieces. Um, it can be teaching through songs. Um, a lot of, in fact, um, pre-K classrooms are teaching behavior expectations through songs. Um, it can be using visual supports to depict um, positive behaviors like staying seated or using a quiet voice. Um, so all of these kind of varying prompts, whatever works best for your child, um, the goal is just going to be that we state what the behavior expectation is, we model it, we teach it verbally as well. We allow the child to practice these behaviors outside of the context of, let's say, a tantrum or a meltdown. And then the more they practice that skill, the more independent they're going to be in engaging in those more kind of positive, appropriate behaviors. And finally, always important in any scenario, probably acknowledge and provide positive feedback. 
Yes, 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 absolutely. Just like we all in life need reinforcement um, for working hard um, or doing a good job, children need it too. And they need feedback that's not only positive, but is immediate and specific. So I'm always really encouraging parents um, and educators to, to acknowledge when a child is engaged in a desirable behavior and state specifically what they've done. Um, When we are in a stage of burnout or kind of chaos, we lean towards maybe not providing any praise or providing very generic praise like good job, way to go, thank you. When in actuality, there's a lot of value and effectiveness in stating things specifically like, um, you went and you picked up those pencils for me. That's being a great helper. Or, um, you know, you're sitting so nicely in your chair. I'm really enjoying this dinner with you. Um, those pieces of specific feedback tell that child, wow, mom or dad or teacher like what I'm doing right now. I should do this in the future. And it hmm. reinforces that behavior. Those are all great strategies for all of us. Uh, that I definitely learned something from those Uh, So the shelter in place has called for parents to be both parent and teacher to some extent. And we all know how challenging that is. But what's your advice on making this work successfully? Yeah. So, you know, I'll admit this is the most common question I get from my friends who are parents of school age children. And so I've tried to do quite a bit of research. um, And there's a lot of information out there and a lot of guidance. So I'm just going to um, summarize kind of what I feel or think about this. First of all, so much of this answer is going to be dependent upon each family's unique characteristics. You know, for example, you might have a single parent who's working from home while attending to assist his or her child with academics, or you've got two parents who are essential employees with limited access to their families right now um, due to health restrictions. Um, So the number of family arrangements right now is so limitless. But I want to touch on a few themes. The first is I really encourage parents to establish upfront what is realistic for both you and for your child to accomplish on any given day really think through what is feasible and try to be gentle with yourselves. Additionally, uh, maintain a routine that works for you and your family. There has to be a blend of work and leisure activities. There also has to be a blend of interaction amongst family members and alone time. That's just going to be so imperative when you're together all day long. Um, In the same household, And then three, communicate openly and honestly with your child's teacher and your employer if you're still working. Um, Really convey your plan for balancing your multiple roles so that they're clear on what's going on and how you um, kind of plan and strategize to do your best to meet all of your responsibilities. And, And just kind of lastly, more than anything, know that it's okay if you're not simultaneously on your A game in everything that you do. Um, right now, it's almost nearly impossible to be the best teacher to your children, parent to your children, and the best employee. Um, that's just not going to be setting yourself up for success right now. Um, so just really be realistic and communicate effectively. 
great advice. And as we're doing these things, should children play a role in, you know, setting the schedule for learning and the activities that we do at home? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, when you think about it, it kind of makes sense that that if children are given choices or they're allowed um, say so and how schedules are established, um, the order in which routines are uh, placed on the schedule, what sorts of activities that, that they get to engage in throughout the day, then they're going to be happier and they're going to feel invest, invested somewhat in, in the environment of the home. Um, you're probably going to see a lot more compliance with routines. Um, and, and just overall, you're going to see children who are happier and more engaged, regardless of the routines that you've got set up throughout your day. So yes, absolutely. When possible, it's not always possible to allow that say so or that input. But when you can, I strongly encourage it. So under normal circumstances, uh, when we're all at work and all of our children are at school, uh, the manageable time in a day is about three to four hours in the afternoon and the evening. Now we're together all day, every day, which is great, (laughs) but also has its challenges. Do you have any suggestions on how the day should be structured given that time limitation? You know, it is, it, it's so bittersweet, um, you know, this this opportunity that we have to kind of spend, or many fam- families have right now to spend all of this time together. But as you mentioned, it's, it's quite challenging. So this is another question um, that may have varying answers based on the family dynamics right now. I do believe that it's absolutely critical that caregivers have some window of alone time to themselves each and every day. Um, And for some of us, that may mean pushing ourselves to get up early so that we can have 30 minutes to ourselves. Um, How much alone time depends on the resources or the level of social supports at that parent's disposal. It's also important that the time that parents spend with their children is not all centered around schoolwork. There's certainly a time and a place for that. It's absolutely necessary. But I strongly encourage parents to build in windows of just child-directed free play. There's so much learning that occurs in the natural context of play. Um, And just spend time with your child doing things that you both enjoy, activities that don't feel like work. If you're working from home, I recommend that parents plan out windows of time that will be dedicated to work tasks throughout the day, knowing that those work hours may look atypical during this time, that they might be more spread out throughout the day. When possible, during non-work times, I suggest that uh, parents engage children in chores or responsibilities around the home, but try and make them fun. Um, For example, give your child a pot and some spoons while you cook or let him or her have their own basket of laundry to fold um, while you're folding your own basket of laundry. Um, And as I mentioned earlier, carve out times to interact with others outside of the home virtually. Help your child connect with family or peers, um, maybe schedule Zoom hour, maybe even happy hour with your friends on a regular basis. The key is all pre-planning. If you don't make the effort to pre-plan these things, you're 
may not hold yourself accountable. You may not feel as prepared or um, things might start to really feel overwhelming or chaotic. But if you go in with some some semblance of a plan, um, then you'll be probably better able to tackle each day. You know, it's interesting with younger children, particularly older children may understand that this is a shift in plans. Younger children, this is Saturday every day. <laughs> and, <laughs> you know, you have to define that and kind of explain what's going on. We, we have our normal routines uh, in a work day, Monday through Friday. We have our routines on the weekend. How much of that, of the normal routine, should we still practice? I don't know if that's possible or not, but how much mm-hmm. of that should we practice and observe? You know, again, so much of this is is dependent upon family circumstance, work arrangements, um, academic requirements, things of that nature, um, parent resources. Um, but I, I do say as much as possible, um, try and keep routines uh, the same. This is really healthy for parents and children. Um, just know that the order of our routines or our schedules or the duration of each routine might look a little bit different. For younger children, it's obviously beneficial to keep nap and meal times the same each day. Um, in fact, if your child was previously in childcare, I would encourage that you keep those same nap and meal times. I would encourage for children of all ages, I, I would really say it's important to make one-on-one time with mom and or dad predictable um, in general, generally around the same time each day interspersed throughout the day. Even with our older kiddos, you might see some association with the lack of routine or a lack of schedule comes kind of a lack of productivity or fulfillment. Um, And for young adults and teens and even us, you know, maybe older adults, if we're not feeling fulfilled, if we're not feeling like we've accomplished something, then that's going to negatively impact mood most often. Um, so I think any sort of, and, and this would be great, a great time for our older kiddos to um, get that say-so on what their routine is going to look like, kind of not bargain, but negotiate with them what things which tasks absolutely need to be completed and when can there be downtime. Um, so that way they're, they're feeling like their day has some sort of structure to it. That's going to be beneficial. Well, Allison, I know um, in just true transparency, my children love a little screen time and they probably have received too much screen time during this time. But how do we balance screen time in our new schedules at home? Oh, boy, don't I wish I had the perfect answer for this. Um, You know, just being very candid as well, this is something I've struggled with. Um, You know, my son is 18 months, and um, according to expert kind of advice, he should not be viewing any, uh, doing any screen time. And then for our our young children, preschool age should, uh, American Academy of Pediatrics suggests one hour of screen time per day. I don't think that many parents are finding that super realistic these days, um, especially the parents who have to work from home. Um, What I will say is that um, 
screen time can be used kind of strategically, kind of interspersing for younger kids, just smaller clips of screen time here and there. For example, maybe when you have to have a conference call and you really can't have many interruptions. Additionally, making sure that any of that screen time is high quality screen time, you know, making sure that obviously what the child is viewing is appropriate developmentally and just appropriate in general. It can have some sort of enriching uh, component to it. Uh, But this is a really, really, really tricky question. I think a good strategy to minimize too much screen time is to actually use something for younger kids called busy bags. I have had to rely on some other things to keep my son occupied while I'm having to work. And if you can keep several bags with little activities that are of interest to your child that would keep them occupied for some when acceptable window of time and you rotate those out each time you have to work so this first time I give you this bag full of activities and the next time I give you this other bag it's going to keep items and those items and activities interesting to the child and those would be bags that you only pull out when you have to do your work that way they remain novel they remain uh, special to that child and they're more likely to maintain the child's interest so that you're not having to default to screen time every time you have to complete a work task. I know we talked about this earlier. The outdoors have uh, really been a sanctuary for most of us during COVID-19. We can get outside with social distancing and we can take a run or we can walk. What about for our kids? Do the outdoors present learning opportunities for families? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, you think about all areas of development, fine motor, gross motor, cognitive, being outdoors is really, I feel like that is the key to sanity these days for kids and for parents. So yes, and, and you know, there's no complex science to how you make uh, learning opportunities happen outdoors with your child. Your child will direct their interest to different stimuli, um, and they are just naturally born to explore. And you as the parent can kind of follow along. You can label things around the child. Um, You can point out the weather. You can point out nature. Um, You know, you can engage in, you know, kind of sport-like activities. They're just, you know, all sorts of uh, things that that children can be learning outside. And to be honest, for some of our kiddos, uh, that outdoor time is some of the only kind of personal contact that they get with folks. It's their opportunity uh, with other people. It's their opportunity to wave at neighbors, um, to maybe say hi to, a, a, you know, an elderly neighbor through a window. So I think for a lot of parent, a lot of kiddos and parents, it's one of the only opportunities to have some sort of social contact in real life. So yes, absolutely, big proponent of that. Yeah, completely agree. I would say our outdoor time has been um, definitely a positive in all of this, and thank goodness the weather's not too hot at this point. So, yes. um, Alvin, yeah. you have given, you provided so many tips, so many suggestions, um, but are, are there any other final practical ways to balance our work time in our space and our family time in our space during this crisis. Any, anything else you could provide for us? 
outside of relying on kind of those rotated um, rotated activities and items to keep kiddos engaged during work time and kind of the pre-planning of activities, pre-planning of your schedule, um, I would just really encourage parents to take the time to look and reevaluate every day what they feel is possible and practical for them. Um, we may have gone into this whole COVID-19 situation um, in mid in mid March, thinking, okay, this is a this is a routine that's going to work for me. But you know, things change, and um, needs needs change and and we have to adapt so having that frequent revisiting of what's working with you and what's not working with you and for your family is going to be really imperative especially because there's really no telling how much longer um, we're all going to have to kind of adjust to to these different living and work situations Absolutely. Allison, this has been great. I, I have to confess, sometimes I thought you were talking about me instead of talking about young children. <laughs> because you were dead on and right on target. But um, where can families go for more information? Is there a spot on our website that they can go to? What's your advice on that? Yeah. So, um, you know, D decal right now is just offering up a wealth of resources uh, to to families and to pre-K programs and child care programs. So I say social media, um, decal social media is one of the best places to stay up to date with all of the resources we've been sharing. Um, we're often in touch with some of kind of the nationwide experts and agencies that are out there supporting families and children. Um, I would say I personally am a big fan of uh, the Early Childhood Mental Health Program. They're out of California and they've got a wealth of resources that are understandable for parents on how to support their children and, and just overall cope during COVID-19. Um, I will also mention that our state agency, DBHDD, actually just uh, started a COVID-19 emotional support line. So adults who are needing um, someone to talk to during this kind of challenging time who are needing some emotional support can call that line. And I'm happy to share um, any information about that if folks are interested. Um, some other great sites would be the Child Mind Institute. Um, they've got a lot of great links and resources around um, how to remain mentally well during these times. And then for parents of young children, zero to three um, is, is going to be another great website uh, for families. All right. Great information. Allison O'Hara is Program Director of Inclusion and Behavior Support. As she said, she started here in January, got her desk all in order, and then everything just went nuts <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> in the month of March. But uh, so great to have you here and some great advice uh, for parents today. Um, and uh, if we get any follow-up questions, we will pass those along to you. And yep. uh, good luck to you and your 18-month-old. <laughs> and uh, as we continue to venture through this, thanks for being with us today. Thank you. It was my pleasure. Now your questions from the water cooler. This is Cynthia Strong McCarthy of the Legal Division. I have a question. How do you feel that the COVID 19 requirements are going to impact the summer food service program. 
Well, thank you, Cynthia, for that question. We all know how important the summer food service program is during regular times, and it's even more important now during the COVID-19 crisis. So uh, right now we have about 34 program sponsors who are are working throughout the state in 300 locations, and any child 18 um, or younger can receive a free meal at any of those locations. If the child can't come, the parent or guardian can pick those meals and take them home. And then many sites are even providing multiple multiple meals at once so parents or children don't have to come back every day. So there have been a lot of flexibility from our federal partners in that. And to date, since I want to say the middle of March when all this began, um, our summer food service program has served over 300,000 meals um, through that program. And I know that uh, more meals will be continued to serve through this and then on through the summer months. So I have great confidence that summer feeding will continue. And of course, the summer food service program kind of comes on at the tail end of this and serves kids for the uh, for the summer months as well. Absolutely. And I, I'm assuming it will continue um, to do with the waivers that we receive from USDA to make things a little bit easier for families. But we know how important those meals are during the summer. And a big thank you to all of those sponsors uh, throughout Georgia, about 39 or 40, I guess, altogether, and uh, appreciate everything they have done. Got a little time uh, on this edition. So let's take one more question back to the water cooler. Hi, I'm Brianna Green from the Communications and Government Relations Department, and my question for the Commissioner is how will the Foundation use the $250,000 grant it received from the Greater Atlanta COVID-19 Recovery and Response Fund? We were so excited to be awarded the $250,000 through that fund, and we really appreciate their partnership. So the Foundation right now is planning to use those funds in two ways. Uh, one is pr- to provide grants directly to child care programs, so either centers or family child care learning homes that are in the 23 counties um, as defined in the grant opportunity around metro Atlanta area, just to provide additional financial assistance. We know that closed programs have lost income. We know that open programs are experiencing uh, still experiencing lost income, maybe be even some additional expenses. Um, and so those grants will go directly to child care programs. Uh, we're also going to provide some um, financial scholarships for families of essential workers who need to access child care and might need help paying for that. So um, it will impact providers and families. And again, we're so, so grateful for those additional dollars uh, that will be spent very wisely to help child care during this time. And I guess we want to let folks know there is more financial support coming down the pike. This from the federal government, something called the CARES Act. Right. So um, all states received dollars from the CARES Act to help to stabilize child care. We know how important child care will be, especially when everyone needs to get back to work. And so Georgia received $144 million of that act. And in the next week or so, we will be providing more details about how that will be sent out to child care throughout Georgia. And some breaking news, we have a new category in our CAPS program for Essential Services Workforce. Uh, These are uh, folks on the front lines who are fighting the COVID-19 pandemic, medical personnel, first responders, child care personnel, others that meet eligibility criteria can get help finding open child care and apply for assistance paying for child care by visiting qualityrated.org. And I know we've... uh, Uh, already sort of started this to kind of get a feel and make sure the process was working and it appears to be going well. 
yes, it is working and uh, everything is automated now. So it will be much easier for us to collect accurate data. So we need to know if we need to look and see if we can find some more funding, um, if the need is greater than our funding at this point. So um, qualityrated.org if you're, if you're interested and need access to childcare and or financial assistance. And it's time for the Decal Download Quiz, your chance to win a nice prize just by answering a question concerning today's podcast. We'll draw one name from all the correct answers received via email at decaldownload at decal.ga.gov. Here's this week's question. Name one of Allison's five practical strategies for promoting positive child behaviors. Name one of Allison's five practical strategies for promoting positive child behavior. Send your response to decal download at decal.ga.gov. Thanks for playing and good luck. Thanks for tuning in to Decal Download. For more information, visit our website at decal.ga.gov. The conversation continues on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and Pinterest. Follow Commissioner Jacobs on Twitter at C-O-M-M Jacobs.